so I believe that as the uh, non-normal preacher here, I get one self-deprecating comment before I start. So I'll just say this, uh, Labor Day weekend, I thought it was going to be less people in here. So <laughs> heart's racing a little bit, but man, I'm excited to be here this morning. Uh, as you guys know, we have been in this series in Jonah. Uh, tagline, uh, Story of God's Grace. And so uh, this has been just a, a really, really good series. And as I've been preparing for it, uh, and I've just kind of been, my mind's been all over the place, but I believe that I kind of focused in and uh, found a few things for us. But this story is actually pretty near and dear to my heart and, and my wife's heart because uh, about a year ago, uh, before me and Abby moved to Utah, um, this story kind of popped its head uh, in, in a strange way. So as we were um, just trying to figure out what God had for us, what was in our future uh, as a newly married couple, we were thinking of all the different ministry opportunities that we had, uh, one of them being uh, coming out here to Flourishing Grace Church. And I just remember praying and asking God for clarity, asking him for signs. Uh, and so often when we ask God for signs, he gives them to us and we turn a blind eye. We're like, no, that's not a sign. But uh, I just remember very clearly it was a, it was a Tuesday night where uh, at our church back home, uh, back in Texas, uh, they were going through a, a Bible study for women. And I remember Abby coming home one day, and, you know, this is after we had been praying for weeks and weeks about, God, where are you going to take us? You know, do we, do we move to Utah? And uh, I remember Abby coming home, her plopping down on the couch, and her looking at me, and she, was, she said this, John, um, we're in a Bible study in Jonah, in a women's Bible study. I'm like, oh, that's cool. No, you, you don't understand. We're in a Bible study in Jonah. Like, yeah, what are you talking about? Well, you know how we've been scared to go to Utah? Oh, yeah, yeah, starting to make sense. Uh, now, lucky for us, you know, a fish didn't come out of the ground and swallow us and bring us here, but it was one of the things that really uh, caused us to, to consider the, like, count the cost of what it meant to move out here uh, to kind of a foreign and new place for us, uh, even though we were scared. And so, uh, yeah, like I said, th this book has a very special place in our hearts, and so I'm really excited to kind of close the series for us. And so, uh, just in review, uh, week one, uh, Josh Knight got to share with us a little bit of the historical context of Jonah and uh, what the Ninevites were to the Israelites and how the, they were the most oppressive group towards the Israelites and uh, they were the Israelites' most hated enemy. Uh, and we got to see kind of a parallel between Jonah and Jesus, Jesus calling himself the greater Jonah. And then in week two, uh, he also pointed out how the Lord brought these sailors to himself and that how though Jonah didn't have command of the wind and the waves, Jesus indeed does. And then uh, week three, Pastor Benjamin, who was just up here, he gave us a very clear picture of who salvation comes from, and that is from God alone through this prayer that Jonah prayed in the belly of the fish. And then last week, uh, Josh Gardner, our minister to students, uh, highlighted the true and drastic repentance of the Ninevites and how their repentance actually led into their doxology and uh, led into their evangelism in praise. And so uh, this week, we, uh, we've got the plant. We've got the plant, this really strange story of, of Jonah's anger and depression towards God, and he's throwing a fit, and God's trying to teach him something, and it's hot, and, and there's, a, there's a worm, and it, it's just really, really strange, but I'm excited to, to preach from this, and um, actually, when we were trying to figure out who's preaching what in this sermon, of course, I'm thinking, like, don't give me the plant, don't give me the plant, 
here we are with the plant. And so uh, today's uh, passage is going to come from Jonah. And we're actually going to start at the very end of chapter 3. And so if you have your Bible, would you open to Jonah? If you don't have a Bible, there should be a blue Bible under the seat in front of you. Or if you're in the front row, Randy, then it's going to be right under your chair. But you've got your Bible. So Um, so we're going to start in Jonah chapter 3, verse 10. And we're going to read through chapter 4. Uh, And if you will, uh, in honor and reverence for God's word, would you stand with me as we read this together? Again, this is starting in Jonah chapter 3, verse 10, all the way through the end of 4. When God saw what they, the Ninevites, did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented uh, relented of the disaster that he said he would do to them, and he did not do it. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly. And he was angry, and he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? This is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, Do you do well to be angry? So Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head and to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, it is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should not I pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle. This is the word of the Lord. You may have a seat. Now, now this is a very complex story, and because of that, we could probably spend another month in this series simply in Jonah 4. Uh, But but what I want to focus on is is we want to focus on the fact that this is just another story of God's grace, another story of his graciousness towards his people and toward us. And that's why we have this tagline. So how do we see God's grace in full display here in chapter four? We're going to get right into it. We've got three points. And so our first point is this, the Lord's ways are higher than our ways. The Lord's ways are higher than our ways. The Lord declares this truth through his prophet Isaiah about himself in Isaiah 55 where he says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. And even the Apostle Paul was filled with much joy, and this fueled his worship by this truth in Ephesians 3 when he said, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, 
according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. The Lord operates in ways that we cannot, that we will not understand. And to this I say amen. I say amen to that because if all the decisions in the world were up to me, we'd be in a really, really dangerous place. I mean, you can ask my wife. I mean, it's something even as simple as like, oh, I forgot to pay the bill. Well, if it it was up to me, then uh, the bill doesn't exist anymore. But then money doesn't exist. And then now we live in this crazy world where money doesn't exist and the world's falling apart. And this is what would happen. It would look like the Hunger Games if I was in charge, okay? So, uh, but but how do we see this in the life of Jonah? Um, What's amazing about Jonah's qualm with the Lord here is that he actually realizes that it is in God's character to forgive the Ninevites. That is, this isn't something that surprises Jonah. In fact, in verse 2 of chapter 4, he, he kind of says this, I knew you would do this, God. Oh, that's why I tried to run away. I knew you would do this. And I, I have to say, I was trying to think of, man, what this reminds me of, and immediately came into my head. So... This may disqualify me from ministry, but I'm going to go ahead and admit it anyways. So in my home, on the TV, currently the thing that is most played on our TV is a show called One Tree Hill. Okay, so if any of you are familiar with One Tree Hill, you know that this is a very dramatic show full of relationship and all this stuff. I'm not going to say who puts the show on. I'm just going to say that when it is on, I just can't help but watch it. You know, you just can't look away. It's like a car wreck. But one of, one of the things that I feel like happens so often in the show with all these relationships is that you've got a boy and a girl who are dating, and then all of a sudden the boy is stuck in a room with a girl that he's not dating. And then they end up making out or whatever it is, and then the boy has to talk to his girlfriend about this problem. And the girlfriend, I feel like it always happens with a girlfriend saying, I knew you would do this. I knew I shouldn't have left you with her, blah, blah, blah. And that's kind of what this reminds me of, is that it's, it doesn't surprise Jonah that God shows his compassion and his forgiveness towards the Ninevites. He knows that this is fully within God's character. And it's, it's not that it was outside of God's character, but the reason why Jonah was so upset is because this was not Jonah's way. This was not Jonah's preference. Jonah's way was to see God act not in his compassion and his grace, but in his justice and his wrath, which is just as true of God as his compassion and grace. And his preference was that God would destroy the Israelites' most terrible enemies in the Ninevites. Yet God saw their repentance and spared them. And then Jonah grew angry. He saw that God did something that he did not want to do. And then he grew angry. Is anyone willing to be vulnerable and and admit that you know what that feels like? A show of hands. Yeah. Yeah, I actually think this is a regular problem that you and I run into often, often. And what's interesting about this dilemma is that it's not just Christians who struggle with this. It's actually non-believers. This question, I, well, I don't believe that there's a God because if he existed, he would do, insert something here. If God was real, then why doesn't he insert something here? And we hear this all the time. And what I, what I think all of us are actually really saying when we say this is that God should be more like me. God should do all the things that I think he should do. 
He should think like I think. He should do what I do. And as Christians, we are just as guilty of this as our non-believing friends are. And this is what Jonah was guilty of. And I really wish that I had a a cure, like just a cure-all for this problem. Uh, I I don't know if that exists, but I think we have something close. And so um, in Matthew chapter 26, this is what I think could be the cure for us. Matthew 26, starting in verse 36 Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he is struggling with the fate that is ahead of him in the cross. And this is what it says. Then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. And talking with him, Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. And going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, My father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, So could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again, for the second time, he went away and prayed, My father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. And again, he came, them, uh, came and found them sleeping for their eyes were heavy. So leaving them again, he went away and prayed for the third time, saying the same words again. Our Savior, Jesus himself, went through the pain of having his preference pitted against the Father's. But in these words, he surrendered his preference, not as I will, but as you will. These words preach the truth of Isaiah 55 and Ephesians 3. And what I believe about Jesus praying these words is that he actually meant them. Jesus actually meant this prayer of not as I will, but as you will. He wanted the Lord's will above his own, his preferences over his own. Now, how many times have we said those same words, but simply as a crash pad when we fall fall from the boulder? How many times do we pray those words in defeat instead of the victory for what God is going to do in our lives. And no wonder Jesus calls himself the greater Jonah in the Gospels. Jonah had no frame of reference, no thought in his mind pointed towards this truth, not as I will, but as you will. Now the story of Jesus reflects the story of Jonah in that the Lord still required obedience out of them. It wasn't simply just a hands up, God your will be done, but it still required obedience. But I believe the Lord wanted something else, which brings me to point number two in our time together. That is the Lord desires more than just obedience. I'll say that one more time. The Lord desires more than just obedience. In our story, God could have been done with Jonah after he preached to the Ninevites. He could have just let Jonah go in his anger, never to speak to him again. In fact, that's where I believe Jonah was headed. After he was done, he was never going to speak to God again. But God wanted Jonah's heart. He wanted so much more than just Jonah's obedience. And I believe that God's heart broke as he saw Jonah headlong in his own despair. He hears Jonah in verse 3 asking him to take his life from him. And this isn't Jonah being dramatic. We've seen elsewhere in this story that Jonah was willing to die rather than to go preach to the Ninevites. 
he let these sailors throw him overboard into a raging sea, and he figured he would probably drown to death. And then we don't hear from him until three days later after he's been in the belly of the fish. He probably thought he was going to die in the belly as well. And so Jonah is definitely not being dramatic. We can see that. Another interesting thing that we see is I think that Jonah actually gives God one more chance for God to make right what he's going to do to Nineveh. He goes outside of the city to see if God indeed does relent from this destruction that he said he would do. And what's interesting about this picture is that Jonah's worship of God is contingent on God's destruction of Nineveh. That I believe that if we saw fire rain down on that city, we would see Jonah jumping for joy, dancing and praising God for all that he has done. After all, he believed that God was sparing Israel's most dangerous enemy. And this stands in direct contrast to the Ninevites in chapter 3, doesn't it? Where they have repented and turned from evil. And it wasn't simply because they wanted to survive. But they actually believed God. They turned their hearts toward the Lord. In chapter 3, verse 9, the king says, Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his anger so that we may not perish. The Ninevites' obedience was rooted in a change of heart. It was rooted in repentance, and this is why God relented. Yet in contrast, Jonah's obedience was simply obedience. He had his hands up in defeat and said to God, you win. You've defeated me. I'll do what you want. You can have your way. His heart wasn't in it. And so we see this fascinating interaction between God and Jonah that portrays God's desire for Jonah's heart and not just his obedience. God appoints a plant to shade Jonah from the heat, which Jonah exceedingly enjoys. But we notice that there's no thanks from Jonah. Jonah just enjoys it. He takes it for granted. No gratitude. He's so angry with God that he doesn't even thank him. Have you ever gotten into a fight with your spouse after, like right before dinner? Like they prepare a meal for you and then you get in a fight with them and they put the meal in front of you and it's like... Thanks, thanks for that. You know, I've, I felt that way. But God, God wants Jonah's attention. He wants his heart. And so he appoints a worm to attack the plant and then a scorching east wind to once again get the prophet's attention. Turn your face toward me, God is saying to Jonah in these actions. And all this yields from Jonah is another wish to die. Another tantrum from him for not getting what he wanted. And then God asks him, is it right for you to be angry? And Jonah answers, yes. And then we see what I believe is a move from God that is actually just as gracious as his relenting from his destruction to the Ninevites. I think it's just as gracious as his sparing of Nineveh. He teaches Jonah a lesson about not only Jonah's own short-sightedness, not only Jonah's own small-mindedness, but about God's own mercy and compassion. He actually gives Jonah a peek behind the curtain, if you will, into the hidden will of God. That God didn't simply appoint things as a mystery to Jonah. He didn't just do these things and expected Jonah to just take it for what it, what it is and then to turn to worship him. But he actually got to explain to him why he did these things. Now, I love when the Lord gives us glimpses into his hidden will. I love when he gives us glimpses into why he does things, don't you? 
So often we kind of operate in a, in a fog of sorts. We don't see what's in front of us. We don't know why, has, why God has done something in our lives. We don't know why a certain pain has been afflicted on us. We don't know why our faith is shrouded in such mystery. But every now and then God lets us in to see the why. He lets us in to see how true Romans 8.28 is when it says that all things work together for good. And so often when, when he does this, at least for me, it fuels my worship. It fills me with joy and it causes me to just praise him for all that he has done. It warms my heart toward him. I believe that this is what God was trying to accomplish in Jonah. He tells Jonah, you were so concerned about this plant This small thing, it brought you pleasure to see it flourish, and it brought you despair to see it destroyed. So how can I not be concerned with this city? How can you not be concerned with this city? Jonah, I want more than your obedience. I want you, I want your heart, I want you to understand my heart. This is what God is trying to teach Jonah in this moment. It's what he's trying to teach us. He desires more than just obedience. And what I love about how the Lord works is that he uses it all to ask you to consider him. And so our last point today is this, that the Lord appoints it all. The Lord is moving in everything he appoints it all. And we see it so vividly in this story Chapter 1, verse 4, the Lord hurled a great wind. In chapter 1, verse 17, the Lord appointed a great fish. In chapter 2, verse 10, the Lord spoke to the fish. In chapter 4, verse 6, the Lord appointed a plant. 4, verse 7, God appointed a worm. 4, verse 8, God appointed a scorching east wind. Now, I don't want this sermon to turn into a sermon about theodicy or, or why does God allow pain in our world. That's, that's not the point that I believe is in this text. But I believe that this is the point, is that God appoints it all. He is in control of it all. He is sovereign over everything. And we've seen stories where Jesus has command of the wind and the waves. But the worms, y'all, he is in command of the worms. We see this. The Lord appoints it all. And this should give us anything but confusion, anything but despair, anything but anger. This should give us much comfort that the God who showed compassion to the city of Nineveh, he is the appointer of it all, that he is the preparer of it all. And what is the end that he is appointing all these things for? It is the same end that Nineveh came to. It is the same end that he wished to see Jonah come to. It is the same end that he wishes for all of us to come to, and that is that we would turn our face toward him, that we would consider him, that we would repent and be saved. No matter how hard we fight it, no matter how angry we become, no matter how much we disagree with his sovereignty, the Lord appoints it all so that he could show us his heart, and by that, we would have his. And he will use anything. And like we see in the story of Jonah, there there will be hardship. Often this is due to our own disobedience, this hardship. And on this note, uh, Charles Spurgeon, who is a British theologian from the 1800s, uh, I was not compelled by anyone named Josh Knight to put a Charles Spurgeon quote in my sermon. I just want to go ahead and say that. I just thought that this was helpful. But this is what he said. 
Sometimes God puts us through an unusual experience in order that we may better understand him. And sometimes that we may the better know ourselves. Men who are of a hard nature must have hard usage. Diamond must cut diamond. That at last the purpose of the great owner of the jewels, that is God himself, may be accomplished. Simply the Lord will use many means to teach us about himself and ourselves. And most of the time we are so hard-headed. We don't want to learn these lessons. We want to turn away from him. We believe that we know better. And in order to get through our thick skulls, God may use harder means to reach us. This applies to the follower of Christ. This applies to the skeptic. This applies to the atheist. Every single one of us in this room, none of us are exempt from the pursuit of the Lord. None of us can escape his call on our lives. None of us can run from his presence. Jonah thought he could, and he was sorely mistaken. For someone who probably knew the Psalms well, Jonah was pretty foolish in his uh, flight from the Lord. Because we see in Psalm 139, it says, Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. Not only is our God omnipotent, he is omnipresent, all-powerful, and everywhere. This is the God who appoints all things. And so in closing, the the Lord's ways are higher than our own. He desires not just obedience, but he desires our hearts. And he is sovereign over all things. We, We can't fathom the love that God has for us. And we don't acknowledge this simply with obedience. And he uses all things to show us this love. And I, and I want to say, if, if you're here and you don't follow Jesus, if you're here and you're just trying this church thing out and seeing how it falls on you, if you haven't believed what the Bible says about him, if you haven't trusted in him for your salvation, Jesus called himself the, the greater Jonah. That as Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and was spit up, Jesus was in a grave for three days and death could not hold him. And that his work was for much more than just the salvation of one city, but for the salvation of the world. And in the same way God appointed the waves, in the same way God appointed the fish, the same way that God appointed the worm and the wind, in the same way that God appointed the plant to live and to die so that Jonah would turn his face towards God, this is what God has done with Jesus. He's appointed his own son to come to this earth, to live a sinless life, to die a death that we deserve, to defeat an enemy that we could not defeat in death. And where this is where the comparison stops, that Jesus was risen so that all those who trust in him could be risen with him. And so again, if you're not a follower of Christ, I want, I want to ask you to ponder the scriptures, to read them, to ask questions, to bring your doubt to bring your anger. This is what God desired of Jonah, that he would simply bring his all towards him. And this is what we're asking you to do as you consider Jesus. And for those of us who are in Christ, 
Let's take these words to heart. Let's live lives full of confidence, full of joy and love and obedience towards this God who still shows us his compassion today. And church, let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for this truth that we see in Jonah. Would you help us to look to you as our help? Would you help us to trust in you? God, your scripture tells us that you are after our hearts. And so, God, we give it to you. We give you our hearts. And God, for those of us in this room who who may be struggling with something difficult, God, I ask that you would give us a peek behind the curtain. That you would help us to see the why, even if it's just for a moment, God. God, help us to trust you that you are sovereign over everything, that you are in control of it all, that you use all things, that you work all things together for the good of those who love you. Help us to trust that. Help us to believe in that. God, in all the ways that Jonah was blind to what you were doing, help us to see. Help us to live in gratitude for the grace that you show us every single day. God, would you equip us to do the work of evangelism. Help us to obey and help us to obey out, out of a love and affection for you and not simply just obedience. God, as we sing our last song, we, we, we give you our hearts. And if we're not there, Holy Spirit, would you help us to do that? Equip us, empower us, we pray in Christ's name.